Hello, my name is Hindel Grossman, and I welcome you to Inside Divorce. Today, I'm sitting with Bob Furlong from the Bullfinch Group, and we're going to talk about dangerous conversations before you marry and thereafter. So good morning, Bob. Good morning, Hendel. How are you today? I'm great. Good. So let's start talking about those dangerous conversations. What do you mean by dangerous well, conversations? Well, you know, I, I think often when people think about having conversations about money with their either their spouse or someone they're considering marrying or having a long-term relationship with, they get a little nervous. They get a little antsy. I think a lot of people carry around baggage when it comes to money. Either they grew up with a lack of money or they grew up with a lot of money and it kind of, you know... There's a lot of negative connotation, unfortunately. I try as much as possible to encourage people to understand whether they have similar philosophy to their spouse or their, their impending spouse. It tends to be hard at the beginning, but it tends to open up good conversations. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself so we have some context. I grew up in a family business. I worked in partnership with uh, my parents, and then I took over the business in the 90s, and I ran it for another 12 years or so. You know, back around 2008, we ran into some financial trouble. And I learned firsthand, having had a lack of financial conversation early on, really kind of came back to haunt me. A lot of the negativity that I had in my marriage was usually around money. And not to say that mm-hmm. was, as you know, I'm divorced. Yeah. Uh, not to say it was the only cause of the divorce. I'd say it was a major portion of why we didn't remain married. Okay. So part of what we're going to talk about today is weaving in the dangerous conversation about money with your personal experience, as well as your a professional experience right. uh, as a wealth manager and right. wealth advisor, rather. Yeah. And uh, So after exiting that business, what I did yeah. is I started my practice about seven years ago, and, mm-hmm. and I ultimately work with couples. I, I do a lot of work with business partners, but I usually say I work with healthy partners. Uh-huh. And I usually encourage them to leave any of the negative stuff around money at, at the door. I often will say to couples, you know, we all have things we feel unfortunate decisions in the past. So I, I'd like to say to them early on, I give you amnesty for anything you did before you met me, but I need you to do that for each other. Because mm-hmm. I've actually had couples at different times argue as they start to engage in front of me. And, yeah. I, and I don't allow for that yeah. because it, it's, not a, it's not a positive experience for any, any of us. But uh, that kind of language often you know, diffuses the, uh, the challenge. Let me make sure I understand. So you were in a family business, to, and you talked about that you took over the family business, yeah. and then it failed financially. Were your parents open to talking about money, particularly since you were in a business with them? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think my understanding of money comes primarily from my dad. My dad was very, very good. You know, I grew up in a very, very, you know, barely middle class home. My dad worked hard, but didn't make a lot of money. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And they're both very good at saving and deploying money correctly, uh-huh. you know, because they, my mo- they're both uh, depression era kids. So mm-hmm. my dad was born in 28, my mother in 34 and my father grew up. Okay. But my, my mother grew up with even less. So we used to joke about her mother that she could make a whole meal out of a potato and an ear of corn, you know? <laughs> so I didn't grow up with this feeling of not having enough or like, Oh, we can't spend anything because we knew what the depression was like. But but my dad always said, you know, he did a budget. He made sure that he saved money. And, you know, we still had vacations. And we still, my greatest memory of my mother growing up was that she didn't get her license until probably in her you know, 30s anyway. But she used to take the bus into 
downtown Boston to go to Filene's. At the time, there was only one Filene's basement. Now there are no Filene's basement, mm-hmm. so there may be some listeners that don't know what Filene's basement was, but <laughs> it was really the the original off-price place to buy clothing. Yeah. And she would go there to get things, you know, to really just be budget-oriented. So I grew up in a household, you know, where we're well-dressed, and I think in my town, people thought we had more money than we had because I always look good. Well, you're um, well-dressed. You've always been oh, well-dressed as an adult <laughs> when I've known well, you. being in the gift industry for a long time, and actually my mother is uh, amazing when it comes to clothing. She and I just, uh, we love clothes, but I, I have that, you know, that gene where I don't like to pay retail, so I'm usually, I'm a very good shopper. <laughs> I shop strategically. Well, so your parents had this retail business. We yeah. don't identify exactly what it was, but it was yeah. a retail business, So, but, and you transitioned into the business. So yeah. was there a lot of conversation business-related? You know, there could have been more, you know. Uh, about I had money? Like, about how to run the business? From how to run the business? I, I think from, you know, the business, again, I think my mother worked for years without even paying herself anything. It was ex- an expensive business to run. I remember seeing them struggle with it. And, I, you know, it's funny. It had not really been on my radar to run the business. I, it's a long story as to how I got involved. I'm the, the fourth kid. Yeah. But I got involved because I love my parents, and they're amazing people. My dad passed away 15 years ago, but my mom, I still talk to her every day. She's a really an amazing entrepreneur. She was way ahead of her time starting mm-hmm. a business in 76. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad was, a, like, the head of finance for the company. My mother was really everything on the front end of the business. So I, I think they were always very engaged with each other. They had a lot of trust with each other. My mother mostly handled how the money was utilized in the home. And mm-hmm. there was never like issues about overspend. They never argued about money. I don't think, I don't remember a single time within a, at home or within the business ever seeing them argue about money. So were you married at the time that you owned this business? You were yeah, an owner of this it was an interesting, retail business? Yeah, I got married right around the time my dad had retired. My dad, had, unfortunately, had had a heart attack right around the time he was 65. So it was like, well, you know, and he was, he fortunately lived for like about another 12 years or so. But he gifted me his portion of the stock. And then I was still in partnership with my mother for a few years. And then I bought my mother out right around the same time I was getting married. And the funny thing about it, I had a very different background growing up. Than who? Than my ex-wife. So yeah. my parents were very... They were an interesting combination, socially liberal, very, very active in causes and social activities. And, and my mother was very involved in starting Meals on Wheels in Boston. Yeah. You know, we always looked at, we didn't have really much, but there were so many people poorer than us. So my parents are very charitable and impressed upon us the value of doing that and the need. So I grew up with not a whole lot, but I knew that there were people poorer than me. My ex-wife grew up with a lot. Yeah. And... So her attitude toward money was different than yours? Oh, completely different. Oh, uh, yeah. And then, so this is a values kind of issue. Totally, it? totally. And unfortunately for her dad, her dad took an early retirement, and the result was was didn't quite go the way he wanted. So he didn't have – it was funny. My parents had less when they were younger and had a healthy retirement. My in-laws had much more when they were younger and had a very unstable mm-hmm. uh, retirement. And unfortunately, retirement tends to come about the same time as when children start to, you know – either exit or enter or exit college. And so she had kind of a tough time. So she had a lot of baggage related to money. I didn't really have much when I think back on it. You know, I... Not much baggage. About money. You know, I, I, I had my first job when I was nine. Yeah. Uh, you were entrepreneurial fi- early. Yes, yeah. right. Until I was 15, I had a paper route. And then I worked in the family business. And when I went to college, I'd saved... I'd saved my first year of college tuition in cash. Yeah. That I paid for myself. That's back. I was at BU. That's back when they, you could get the BU. That's expensive. BU, eight, well, eight grand back then. It's 70 grand now. So yeah, yeah was, it was expensive. Inflation. So I don't think she ever really had a job growing up. They had country clubs and things like that. And 
and we had very simple life. So there was a different understanding of the value of money. And uh, when money got tight at any time, there was a complete disconnect. So what kind of conversations do you wish you would had with your oh ex-wife prior to Well, so, so Hindel, I, I think I've shared this with you before that I impress upon all of my clients to have conversations before they get married. Because if they don't, they're, you know, the chances are there's a disconnect. And, you know, again, often I meet my, my clients when they're, uh, all my clients come through referrals. So I meet them from other clients that are happy. And, and um, it's usually they're coming to me because there's some disconnect over money. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many people that live where we live mm-hmm. that make so much more income than most of the rest of the country. Yeah. But it's so costly. And, you know, we want everything that, that often people are just kind of like, where is it all going? Uh-huh. So. So I have those conversations. Have a good grasp of how they're yeah. spending. Well, yeah, and and I think it's just you know it's okay as long as the income's coming in, and because the, there's so much going on on the back end that, you know, I often meet people at a crossroads or when they've had some kind of, they've taken a sharp left turn. So if I could go back to my 30 year old self, I would say, hey, you know what? Have an early conversation, sit down, and say, how do you see things working out? So not just the money aspect, but who's going to do what? Yeah. In my experience as a divorce attorney, I find the one thing that's really important is for people to have the same values right. and have the values conversation. One of the values conversations is about the value of money, right. not just how much you have, but how you spend it, how you save it, how much debt you can suffer and tolerate. That all is very informative early on as to how you end up living and how good decisions that parties make, you know, married people make. Right. So values is an important factor, as well as you know other things related to values. But we're talking about money today, pretty much, and dangerous conversations about money. So how did the money issues rear their heads during well, its, you know, it's, its head during your marriage? Well, it's interesting. I think it's mostly what's important, it especially became apparent. You know, when we went into the financial crisis, you know, my I had retail stores in downtown Boston, and they were dependent upon the people who worked mostly in the market. I never realized how dependent I was until I saw like a, a precipitous drop in sales. Uh-huh. And at that time, you know, we it's not that we we're living a crazy lifestyle, but we were live we we're spending probably more than we should have. Uh-huh. And I remember saying, you know, I think we need to cut back. And it was like, well, no, you'll figure it out. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of push and shove there. And then there was, um, okay, I think. Um, Maybe you should go back to work. I think the biggest disconnect. That was what up. you were thinking about your ex-wife. Oh, yeah. Well, you wanted the, her to go back to work. Well, because I, Be I, I was probably going to cut my income because yeah. I, I ran the business. So I'm like, well, I'm going to salvage this business because yeah. if I have to take a short-term cut in pay. Yeah. But, you know, the funniest thing is I think happened years before. I'll never forget this, that, again, uh, the value of having a value conversation, the value of values, the value of having a value conversation yeah. around money before you get married is also who's going to do what once you're married. Uh-huh. Some people are very traditional. Uh-huh. I have plenty of friends that are stay-at-home dads. Uh-huh. I have plenty of friends that have hired help and and pretty much have always worked full-time through you know husbands and wives yeah. and every other permutation. Yeah. We never had that conversation. I think that was even more overriding. I'll never forget when my ex-wife was pregnant with my eldest. We were at a party, and she was probably something like eight months pregnant or so, and she had been a nurse. Mm-hmm. So when we, start, when we married, we were making the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. I was way underpaying myself because that's common with business owners. You're building equity, right? And I remember thinking, oh, well, you know, once we have the baby, we'll figure things out. And I have flexibility in my schedule. And she had all the benefits and everything. She was a yeah. nurse working at a major hospital. Someone was saying, so after you have the baby, you know, what are you going to do? And she says, oh, I'm, I'm going to stay at home. I'm not going to work. And you, that was a surprise to you. The first time <laughs> I had ever heard it. And I, I could almost, I should have marked the calendar because I remember it 
it's almost like I know what I was wearing at the yeah. time. Um, and I was shocked. And afterwards, I drive home. I said, um, hey, that's the first I've heard of that one. What's your thought process here? And mm-hmm. she said, well, you know, I want to stay home and I want to do this and that. And my mother had, you know, they had had some financial crisis when her dad retired and her mother had gone back to work. And, you know, she didn't want to do that. She 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 wanted to be around all the time. Just wasn't a conversation that she no. had with you, was it? No. So I said, uh, that would be great but you know there's so much benefit for you to working even just a little bit mm-hmm. you know i said well where are we gonna get where how are we gonna make up for all that lost, lost income? income yeah and she said you'll just double your income so there's not quite understanding how a business works and that you can't just pay yourself whatever mm-hmm. amount of money you want that's right i was like well okay and i and it put a huge stress on both our personal and so our that was our the business. beginning of the stress that was the beginning yeah. It was probably not the beginning, but that was an, that was a <laughs> recognizable beginning of the end. And I did the best I could, but I, I think it, when I look back on, I think probably the major problem for most people in having these conversations before they get married is that you know they're thinking about the fragility of the relationship. Yeah. Well, if I have this There's conversation, it's a fear, it's a oh, fear my, of having oh, the Lord. conversation, yes. right? Well, if I have this conversation and my my future spouse says, "There's no way I'm going to do it." I draw a line in the sand. We might not get married. Yeah. Okay, that might be a good thing. Yeah. I have no regrets. I have three great kids, and they're all healthy and happy, and they're they're hilarious kids. I live one of the greatest places in the world, and I have great friends and everything. But there's a lot of money that was lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And and money is just a tool to do stuff. And I would have rather given it to charity than than the way that it was bled. But again, I'm I'm happy that I did what I did to get out of something that wasn't healthy but but there were signs along the way oh my certainly there might have been signs before you got married too right oh but by all means yes there was just the fact that she made a good living but never saved any money yeah and i remember thinking wow but then i thought well you know there's a lot of people i know that have debt well she has no debt but she has no money and i went into the marriage you know i was the person for the down payment on the house we pay for things together but along the way it was she had an inheritance that she wasn't so above you know, she had a, a, one of her relatives pass away and leave her some money that I never saw any of that. There was a strange, I think. Hits. Yeah, well, more than little. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, again, with anything that you just kind of go, well, I just got to keep moving forward, you yeah. know. But I think the biggest one was when, when we had the economic crisis. And you know, when you have a crisis, you, you should potentially consider austerity. You know, and I think it's an also, option. Yeah, and I think austerity is what my English teacher used to call a twenty-five cent word. It's it just means like you know, go as thin as you possibly can go and yeah. still you know be clothed and have a roof over your head. Uncomfortable for some people. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of I'll say that I don't know whether you remember. I I did I had a, a group for divorced dads for a while. I was very happy in how things turned out for me. I've, I've had healthy relationships since my divorce. And I had done that group because I'd had a couple of friends that really had disastrous divorces. I yeah. actually lost one of my best friends that had committed suicide oh. when, when he was going through a divorce because he couldn't deal with the fact that he was going to lose a lot of his yeah. position in the community and a lot of money. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, you can earn money and you're still the person you were. Yeah. This will pass. This is, I mean, I was still married at the time, so I, I had no idea what he was going <laughs> How through. How he was suffering. Yeah. yeah. I've had a number of friends have gone through divorce since. I was very fortunate when I was going through divorce to have friends that had gone through it before and, and had good coaching and had good representation. And I listened. I actually listened to my my attorney, which I, I recommend to everybody. Good client. Let your attorney drive yeah. the, the, the bus. You're just a passenger. Mm-hmm. And I think the big thing there was, when, uh, in looking back on all of it, there are so many red flags around just philosophical stuff. Not just money, but 
but you know how to raise kids or what you should be doing. And I think the reason why these are dangerous conversations is that's, you know, like anything else, they may derail the relationship. Yeah. May have hard feelings. Yeah. Right. Better to derail it now than than when you're deeply involved. Yeah. So it's important to have these dangerous conversations before you get married. But now that you're in the financial services industry, you can see the value of having them on an ongoing basis during the marriage because things change, obviously, right? Like you're like financially things did during your marriage and many marriages. And yeah. both of you have to be financial partners as well as partners in other ways. You know, I've known people that have lost jobs and have had, had to change things. Or people have had health issues and have had yeah. to change things. I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time trying to help protect my clients against the outcome of those things. We never can protect against them happening. Mitigate the outcome. I think the big thing is if early on people realize they're a team and they're actually a, a partnership. And, it, and it's hard sometimes. I raise this and some people get it. Some people are, have... They get eventually, I'll say, you know, a couple of questions I tend to ask couples is I'll say, can we admit that, you know, aside from the emotional and physical attachment that the two of you have, you are a financial partnership. You mm-hmm. are in business together. Mm-hmm. You know, you might work at this job and you might work at that job. I have actually have a lot of clients who are in business together, actually in business yeah, yes, together. Yes. And I love that because my parents were, they were yeah. you know, it's, it's, you really, can relate it's to delightful that. when you see that because it's, it's a true, it's a closeness that a lot of people never achieve. Yeah. It's a dangerous thing though, it, too, oh, right? Oh, yes. To be in business it, with it, your spouse. It, but it, it doesn't work for most people, yeah. but I often will say, so there's a financial partnership here. And if something happens to either of you, it impacts the other person, not just emotionally, but financially. I had one recently where somebody said, oh, a friend of theirs had bought this expensive handbag and hadn't hid it from their husband. This is a yeah. not a client of mine, thankfully. And, uh, you and don't I like was, those kind of secrets, No, and I said, that's really kind of horrible that the person would need to do that, yeah. that they wanted something so badly. And that they knew that it was kind of a, maybe not the smartest way to spend money For that sure. was that was communal. I think on the other hand of that, we've come a long way socially, men and women. I think in so many ways we're still behind when it comes to who makes the financial decisions and who wants to hear about it and how many conversations they have. Yeah. I'm often surprised at how many women are not even part of the conversation. And I, I don't work with couples unless both sides of the uh, relationship are present and, yeah. and engaged. So you still have clients who come in and say, oh, my spouse doesn't care. We're going to talk about finances, but they don't really need to be here or care about it. And you like it's, to have the other spouse in the room. Yeah. yeah. And if they say that and they, they're hard line on that, I just, I, I don't engage with them yeah. because in, invariably, I think it leaves people out of the conversation. The other part of it is historically in previous generations there, you know, ultimately, and it's still true that women live longer. You know, and if they're not financially literate, uh, when something happens to their spouse, yeah. it can be really catastrophic. Yeah. Fortunately, my mother was, but and, and also we're very close, so I was there helping her through that process. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that don't have that connection with their kids, or, or and also you know as, as much as spouses need to be open with each other, they also need to be open with their kids. Yeah. You know. So. Well, that's an interesting topic. It's a little off topic, yeah. although yeah. it could be a dangerous conversation with kids. Right. You know, I have two kids and I try to have a conversation with them about, you know, their spending and their saving. And I'm delighted that one of my kids, my younger one, is now sending me money when he is a little extra and asking me to invest it for him. And he's 26. And, I, you know, oh, I'm, I'm so proud of him, yeah. even if it's, well, it's a lot, actually, yeah, yeah. sending yeah, me yeah. to invest yeah, for yeah. him. And he's oh, mindful great. of it. Um, so that's I'm, wonderful. I'm uh, happy that he's thinking about it. Yeah. Whether people think it or not, everybody in the family is thinking about money at some point. Yeah, in way should be. Yes, and yeah. and I think that often we carry around an unnecessary amount of burden around yeah. this stuff, and sometimes the burden is not being able to have the conversation. I've seen 
again, it's more so in previous generations, but I, I see that's still kind of hanging on. It's it's an outmoded thing where, you know, there's been men that I've known that are like, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to keep my job. Or I didn't get my big bonus and I can't share that with my wife. And I'm like, yeah, how is that possible? You know, yeah. she's, she's the person they should be uh, the closest to you in the world. But I think that shielding people from the good and the bad yeah. is not a good practice. I think it's lacking respect for your spouse too. Mm-hmm. For the most part, when I when I say to people, hey, so we're going to meet, let's coordinate a time so your spouse can be here. And they're like, oh, sure. Every now and then when they, then they're like, oh, she, she or he, sometimes it's the other way, uh, doesn't need to be here. I'll say, yeah, they do. Yeah. And they go, okay. And then the, the second person comes that may, maybe has not been engaged. It's amazing, Hindel, how engaged they become in the meeting. Because they're like, oh my, I've always never. Because again, we're the product of how we're raised. Right. Often people who are exposed to this stuff are like, oh, this is really great. And some of the best clients I have are people who had very little exposure to it before. So what words of advice do you have for couples who are married? Let's say, well, let's do two parts. Couples who aren't yet married, uh, you're in a relationship, maybe headed toward marriage. How does someone start that conversation? And then let's talk briefly about how to start the conversation, even though you may be married 20 years or five years. So I encourage uh, prior to marriage. And it's funny, often I have a, a client who announces to me, oh, I'm very serious, I got engaged, whatever. And I'll, I'll kind of make a point of saying, well, you need to come in with him or her, depending upon the situation. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, well, I just want to get to know them. So anything happens, I want them to know where all the passwords are and everything else, yeah. right? I usually make light of that because it's probably not going to happen that way. I say it's very, very important for people to have the conversation around, and it sounds a little weird and st- stilted or... What did you learn about money? What do your parents think about money? Mm-hmm. What are your views, your spending? So you facilitate a conversation. Yeah, I, I usually say to them, talk a little bit about the stuff that you want to spend money on. I'm, I'm a big, you know, you know, I was in, I owned retail stores. I still like to buy stuff. I, I always tell my clients, let's talk less about budget and more about our plan for spending. Uh-huh. They get very excited about that. Uh-huh. Ooh, I have a spending. Yeah, if you have a spending plan, you go away on vacation, come home with no guilt. Yeah. You know, what do you think about having separate accounts when you're married? When you're separate married, accounts so, and joint accounts. Well, and, you, you know, that? there's there's the added factor of, you know, the fact that sometimes you have hybrid families now, right? You yeah. have you mean blended families, blended prior families marriages. Or hybrid yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I kind of like the idea of having an operating account. Yeah. You know, the operating account pays every, you know, and all the money goes into the operating account because we're a partnership and we're going to pay for the, the mortgage or the rent or the, the cars, all the things that we have to pay every month. Out of that, a certain portion will go into the variable expense stuff, which is like, you know, the food and the and the credit cards. You know, you, if you choose to shop at Whole Foods, you know, you're going to pay more. If you choose to shop at uh, Market Basket, you're going to pay less. But, you know, people can make those are decisions. Yeah. You don't really have a decision over what your mortgage is going to be. Yeah. You know, and I'll encourage them to say, have a little mad account. And sometimes it's as little as like 50 or $100 a month goes out of that other account. Yeah. You can each spend that independently of each other as long as you don't spend it on each other uh-huh. or the kids. It's for your own money. Yeah. It just spend it on something that, that you think is stupid. Yeah. Or or somebody might somebody else might see as stupid that you just kind of want, yeah. you know? And I had that situation where I had a couple that were going through a, a difficult time and or had gotten through it. And, and often I see part of the reason why there's no conversation around this stuff during the marriage is usually it's a man saying you're spending too much money. It's amazing that's still around. It sounds mm-hmm. like something from the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. You're spending too money and he, too much money, and she's saying, you have too much control over the checkbook. So I had a conversation, and I said, why don't you just fund a little bit into your slush account or whatever, yeah. your mad money account? Yeah. And they did, and they were like, oh, my, 
oh my, we're actually spending less than, or like they're spending punitively against each other. Uh-huh. And as a result, they spent less. Like if he spent, she felt she, she oh, yeah. spent well, the equivalent He just went amount. on a golf thing with his buddies. So I have to buy those shoes. Yeah. You know, so I said, if you're not spending, you you feel like you're, why are you working? Yeah. You know, if you're not getting any enjoyment out of life. So the caveat that I like in that is you can't say, well, I use my mad money to buy the kids shoes. No, you can't. The only person you can spend the money on is yourself. And and usually you, you see a twinkle in everybody's eye. And uh, it, not destructive stuff, folks. You know, just like I want a pair of shoes. I want to, I want to, you know. Well, whatever you want. Right? I, I knew somebody that liked to buy sports memorabilia. I'm like, that's where you're buying that out of that uh, account. You may have to let it, let your $100 a month build up over six months before you make a purchase. So. Okay. So it's regulated in some way. I mean, you have to save yeah, for have, it. It's, have to save it's, for all, it. it's all even. Well, the idea being that Let's pick a number. It's a hundred dollars a month. At the end, of, you know, during that month, you can spend that hundred dollars, or you can let it ride mm-hmm. because three months from now, you want to spend three hundred dollars. Well, it, it restricts impulsive spending too. Because yes, and you have to save for something that you really want. It kind of, you know, yeah. the reason why I came up with it, it was it kind of reminded me of when I was a kid. Yeah, I want a bike. My dad would say, "Well, let's start saving for it," yeah. or you know, "I'll pay for half." And you, you know, I always had a job, so it was goal-oriented spending. Yeah. And and, then, and what I found is when I actually bought something that was significant. It really mattered, mm-hmm. and I took care of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, there is a pleasure response when we spend money. Not to get you know, my background's in psychology, so I don't want to really go there. But the, <laughs> but the <laughs> we don't know, have time for that exactly. But we get a feeling, and it's very brief. There are feelings that we get from from saving, and you know, we get feelings of comfort, etc. We can blend those, yeah, so that we save for the spending part. Well, we maybe more people should get pleasure from saving. Well, from the I, I comfort think we, and the security right? and saving. I think when we see it, we all do. Yeah. But I, th- I think we see it as being in conflict with spending. And in reality, I say, I say, you save so you can spend later. Yeah, it's just delayed spending. Uh-huh. And people are like, oh, I hadn't really thought. Yeah, you put your money into four hundred one k so that I usually send it. I say, you know, money in your retirement account is is little love letters to yourself in the future. <laughs> you know, you're get to enjoy it later. Well, you know, you ever put out this time of year we're swapping out the clothes from the the, the sure. summer to the fall yeah. and the winter, you put a jacket on, you find $20 in the pocket. You know, I found money in my pocket last week. Actually. How did you feel? It was, it was, it was $6, but still. Yeah. You felt pretty awesome though, right? <laughs> it was great. And guess what that was? That was my retirement money. That was future, a gift. Right? That was yeah. a gift from your, your younger self. Uh-huh. It's kind of neat that way. So we, I think that we have to see the connection between savings and spending yeah. that you save so that you can spend money. It's not like you're saving for just out of yeah. like a functional thing. It's yeah. really meant to be uh, goal-oriented. Yeah. So. Well, this gets back to the value of money to, to some right. people. You know, do you want to save it for the, so you have it in the future and use it for other purposes um, in your retirement, for example, right. or a cushion for illness or right. job loss or anything, as opposed to the immediate gratification of spending now? Well, then correctly, if you balance it out, you do both. Uh-huh. You know, and I, and I think it's... If you it's manage just, it, you can do both. If you, if you manage it, I, I think it comes from... So if you if you're it goes back to the philosophical thing if people start off with being having goals in mind we're going to be a um, a combined unit as a result of us being together the old days they used to say two can live cheaper than one yeah. remember that that's like I, I date myself that's like something from the forties right in reality you can in reality if there's two of you you get a force multiplier. For sure, it's true that two households are more expensive than one. Oh, yeah, I've experienced <laughs> As a result that. of the divorce. I think right? you've experienced that, too. I've, I've experienced that over the last few years. But if you combine your efforts, again, whether it's a partnership in life or a partnership in business or one that straddles both, the reason why you come together 
is that you share philosophy. It's like the old Venn diagram, right? The the part that's the crossover is philosophy. Mm-hmm. Everything else is unique traits, mm-hmm. right? So a spouse really comes with traits that make you better. But the only reason why you want to stay with them is you have similar philosophy. And I think big things are, you know, the one that we're talking about today is is money. You cannot be disconnected on money and have everything have else a successful work out. relationship. It just doesn't work. Because when push comes to shove, all the arguments are about money. And it's such a wasteful use of time. We uh, None of us have extra time, as far as I can tell, when I call up people and, and they say, I have no time. We're all guilty of not using our time correctly. You know, money is a, an interesting fabrication that we came up with because it's more efficient than trading. You know, can't go to the store with a pig and say, I'd like some siding for my house. You know, we, we came up with money as a tool. Mm-hmm. And if we use it as a tool, we're controlling it. Uh-huh. If we let it let it control us, then yeah. then we're saddened. I know that's too philosophical for you. No, no, I like the message, which is we control the money. Don't let the money control exactly. us. I think that's a good way to conclude our conversation today. Good. On a high note. On a high note. Right? Manage your money. Good. Well, Bob, thank you so much for sitting with me today on this it's podcast on dangerous conversations and the importance of having money conversations before and during marriage. Yes. Thank you very much. This has been Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman. I'm a divorce attorney and the owner of Grossman & Associates in Newton, Massachusetts. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome. Thank you. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindel at grossmanltd.com My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L. Or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.